Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for TWIP is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com and Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com forward slash TWIP. And Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to Squarespace.com forward slash TWIP. This week on TWIP, Adobe gets cozy with Microsoft, Derek talks about his Photokina Oktoberfest adventures, and better living through color calibration. It's Saturday, October 9th, 2010. And this is TWIP. Welcome back to This Week in Photo, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And joining me today on the show are Mr. Derek Story, Steve Simon, and Ron Brinkman. Hey, guys. Hello. How are you? It's awesome. Uh, this is this is quite the powerhouse of photographic talent we have here. I'm feeling a little bit inadequate, so if I don't say much during the show, you'll <laughs> you understand why. So first off, uh, you know, Derek, you haven't been on in a, in a couple weeks, and I know you were gallivanting around the world uh, most recently at Photokina. Just quickly, how how was that? I mean, what, did you was it all you expected? And had you been there before? You know, the, yeah, it was all that I expected, uh, actually even a little bit more, which is always kind of cool. And uh, I hadn't been there before. I had wanted to go for the longest time. And uh, this year, everything came together. And uh, I was not only able to go to Photokina, but able to go to Oktoberfest in Munich. Nice. And they conveniently put them within the same window there. So, Derek, uh, did that erase all your memory of Photokina going to Oktoberfest? Well, you know, I, I did Oktoberfest before and after Photokina. So, uh, yes. <laughs> nice. Cool. That's good. I actually did that same, same little deal. I think it was four years ago, uh, two, two Photokinas ago. And it's a nice, nice combination. I highly recommend it. You know, Ron, I was there. I was there four years ago too. I may have been at the bar with you at at Oktoberfest. Probably. (laughs) We're going to definitely dive deeper into the uh, to the Photokina stuff because Derek, I have a feeling you have some interesting stories of of the ones that you can remember to share with us about that adventure. Steve, you were on last the last show. This is two in a row. Uh, I know. I, you know I, I, I'm having the feeling that Saturdays might work out for you in terms of recording TWIP. What do you think? I can't explain my good fortune two weeks in a row. I just The amazing thing is just how quickly the time in between them goes. I mean, it's, uh, it's rolling kinda, along. I'm so, kind of jealous. I haven't been on in a while. Well, you're, you're, well we're going we're gonna to resurrect the, uh, the, the powerhouse here. So, Steve, did you uh, – I know in the last show we were talking about lust, gear lust, and you were talking about you were going to get a D7000. Have you got it yet? Uh, no, not yet, not yet. But uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know too many people short of um, uh, ones that were given the camera to try out that actually has them have them yet. I think they're okay. they're going to be out any day, but uh, just not. I don't think they've quite reached the dealer shelves just yet. I know Scott any, Bourne. Any Scott Bourne has one in his hands. I guess it's a trial unit, but you know Scott somehow mm-hmm. somehow he worked his magic and he got one. So if you're interested in his first impressions, listeners, head over to Photo Focus. I think he has a blog post up there. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm very interested in that camera. It's uh, 
That, that, that definitely, uh, as a cannon shooter, makes me think, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All I got to say is I'm on the list. I'm getting one. Yeah. It's, uh, you, you've heard it here last week, and I'm still, wait, I'm still wait, getting Wait, isn't, isn't that a crop sensor camera? Fred? It is a crop sensor camera. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> You mean you would stoop so low as to buy something that will be obsolete almost immediately? Yes, because I'm buying it specifically sure for be, the video. It's, I'm only using I, it for video. Because <laughs> I know they're going to stop manufacturing crop sensor cameras any day now. What, what was the bet? The bet was what, 2012 or 2015 or something, right? So it's coming up. It's, they're going away by then. I'm holding, yeah. I'm holding the yeah. line. Sure. <laughs> So crop sensor camera, crop sensor cameras. You heard it here. This is this may be the last crop sensor camera I'll ever purchase. That's all I'm saying. That's yeah. all I'm saying. And I'm buying it specifically for the video. And if yeah. they had come out with a D700 or a successor to that that had video, of course I would have bought that. But I need video and I need to use my Nikon lenses, so I'm a little trapped right now. Mm. So uh, Ron, <laughs> what what have you been up to? Just just to continue the uh, the touch base. Uh, really, nothing photography related. Well, a few things photography related. So, wh- why are you e- why are you even on the show then? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to hang out with you guys again. <laughs> hear hear about people doing photography. I done much of it. Get inspired. You come on Twip and then you go out and hang out on the beach and shoot, right? <laughs> exactly right. Uh, yeah, you know, I've been playing around with a few things. I did play around with one of those Leica uh, X ones. I guess it is. No. Oh. Friend of mine got one of those. Are you guys familiar with what that is? It's that you know, it's Leica, so of course you know, add an extra digit at the end of it. Exactly. That's why I say oh, but then I have no idea what it is because I don't own one. Uh, this is the the one that has the fixed lens. I think it ends up being about a thirty five millimeter equivalent. Um, nice internals. I think I suspect it's a lot of Panasonic internals as Leica tends to do. But you know, really good lens on it. But it's a fixed lens, and it's very much going back to the you know Cartier Bresson school of uh street photography i think is where you where you would see it used uh i'm not exactly sold on that but it's a neat little device yeah, yeah. can cool. i can i also uh, pipe in just on this on the talk of leica uh and since you know christmas is coming i don't know if you you guys probably have seen the leica m9 neiman neiman marcus edition that has gone on sale in the neiman marcus catalog mm. for the very wealthy it's basically an M9 limited to 50 units. It's got ostrich leather, which is, <laughs> of which is like butter, which is like butter. And it's equipped with a 35 millimeter F2, a spherical lens. Um, so it's basically an M9 in a, mm-hmm. in a fancy package. And it's selling for $17,500. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> that, that camera is going to make some phenomenal images. That's all I got to say. <laughs> at that price, it's going to make some butter images. Well, you know, I, I, I talked to the woman that uh, I was out shooting with who had this. And, you know, I was, she was, like, asking me to kind of take her around and, you know, do photography with her. And, and uh, as I suspect is often typical with Leica owners, she's like, I don't There's just something magical about the pictures that come out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because you I want them it. to be magic. Uh, exactly. Exactly. And I apologize so, right now to every Leica user out there because you know I'm sure they're wonderful cameras, but and we'll hear from them in the forums, I'm sure. But so, yeah, it does so something magical to light that the other cameras does not that do not do right. But you know what? I you know on a serious note to that, I mean, if you look at the history of Leica, even pre, you know pre digital, you look at. Um, some of the images that were made with uh, Leica M-series cameras, 
there is a quality about them. I mean, there is something special about the system to a large degree, but mostly the lenses. I mean, the lenses, uh, as small as they are, um, are quite phenomenal. And, and there is a look that you can see. Now, whether or not that translates onto, into, into the digital realm, I think that's maybe a little bit debatable. But I, I, I remember seeing it myself. I, I th- and, I, and I think it's a fair point, as much as, you know, as I like to take the piss out of it, just because they are very expensive cameras. Uh, yeah, you, know, you can certainly make the case that uh, they, they own the, the lens pathway and they can do things that are like-alike to it. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I can believe that there would be some sort of a, a uniqueness to it. Uh, whether that's worth the sort of extreme uptick in price, uh, it, it may be. It certainly may be for some people. And, and uh, you know, if you've got the money, hey, go for it. I want to see, I want to issue a challenge to the This Week in Photo listening audience to come to the site, thisweekinphoto.com, uh, and go to the forums and start a like a thread in there and put some images in there and show us what the difference is between or show us that signature look of the Leica. That's all I want to see. Well, you know, and, and it's actually it's an opportunity that I probably missed taking advantage of, which was when I when I had the camera in my hands shooting, you know, the same subject with the same kind of framing uh, with the Leica and with my Canon and with my you know Panasonic LX3 and sort of seeing what the the visual difference was. Well, and see, the this is socks, Ron, if you look closely, you'll see rainbows and puffy clouds. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, Ron, this is the opportunity for you to, to give that girl another call to, you know, you have an excuse to use the camera. Yes, see, it so, is true. There you go. <laughs> look at us. You know, this week in dating. I like it. All right. And, uh, and I need all the help I can get. So. <laughs> wait, wait. Now, uh, wait. I want to add something to this conversation. <laughs> letting you guys go like a nuts here for a few uh, minutes. Uh-oh. Go ahead. So, there, there are other, there are other cameras that that have been inspired by this Leica uh, look and mystique, and and one of them uh, was announced actually at Photokina by Fuji. Have you guys, do you guys know about the X100? Yeah. Oh no, this is a camera. Look it up. You know, look it up right now uh, yeah, uh, on your, in Google uh, yeah. because talk what they about did, it more, Derek, but talk slow. <laughs> Talk slowly. <laughs> so the this is Fuji really X100 oh, is wow, actually uh, what they did is it's a throwback camera in the sense that it's a range finder with a with a fixed lens on it. With it's not ostrich leather, but it's very nice leather trim. I'm not quite sure of the origins of the leather itself. Uh, all machined metal, right? A 23 millimeter lens on it. That's an f2, and then they have a cool rangefinder system that's optical when you want it to be optical but built into it then you can also switch to electronic viewfinder and it and it, it works it'll work both ways this is beautiful and derek i'm looking at it now it's isn't amazing. it a gorgeous camera i want it I, mean, I just want to walk around with that hanging over my shoulder absolutely and it has a a, a APS-C, uh cmos uh sensor in it and uh it's it's probably going to be out it's probably not going to be out for a few months yet but uh when you hold it and play with it and and uh, you know work the, the controls and everything, it, it gives you that same that same wonder. I mean, part of the experience of Leica is, is actually holding the camera and using it, right? I mean, I know Steve has shot with with uh, the M. Which one, Steve? The M9? Um, no, not not the. I play with the M8 and the uh, M8, you know, and of course the film bodies, but not the right. M9. Yeah. So uh, so this camera has 
and you know with all respect to to Leica owners you know it's not a Leica but it 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 gives you that same sort of wonderful feeling of of confidence and and finely machined uh, uh materials so it's it's one to look out for I I talked to them and they hadn't quite set the price on it yet and they were asking well how much do you think people will pay and all that kind of stuff but it looks like it's going to come in right around a thousand dollars so it's still uh you know it's still a luxury item wow yeah and that, and that's another is another fixed focus lens is that right or fixed yes. uh, fixed yeah. lens yeah yeah not everyone's feeling the need to go you know this this ILC route you know this interchangeable lens camera right. route some there's still plenty of uh, people willing to, to to build a system that is designed to be just as it is. Yeah. Awesome. No, yeah. And, and just it on, is cool looking. Yeah. Just on that, I mean, you know, when I look at the specs on that camera, it does look beautiful. You know, Fuji's long had a history of introducing unexpected items, unexpected cameras that nobody else had. Remember the uh, two and a quarter rangefinder, almost happy snap type camera that they came out a few years ago. I mean, they're always surprising surprising people at Photokina. But yeah. I like the fact that it's got that one lens, and it's the equivalent yeah. of about a 35 millimeter, which for yeah. me is really the perfect normal lens. And, you know, we've talked about this on the show before. I mean, too many choices sometimes leads to, you know, confusion. And when you have one camera, one lens, you kind of know what it does. So you use your, your feet as, as a zoom. And and I, you know, in my experience, especially with students, it, it seems to really be a much better way to learn and explore and grow as a photographer uh, to have that one lens and really exploit it to the max. And then I, I, maybe I, I feel that way, too. And, you know, it's funny, Steve, you know, I carry a pin around a lot, uh, the EP one or the PL yeah. one. And I hardly ever take the 17 millimeter lens off it. I mean, that you know, I have the other lenses, but you know, just having that lens with the 17, you know, that f2.8 17 millimeter on there, which is works out to be 34. Uh, that that's that's you know, that's the mode I'm in when I when I pull that camera out, and I don't really feel the need to change lenses. So, all. guys, I want to I want to continue that thread of conversation in just a second, but before we do that, I want to pay our bills. Um, so give a quick nod to our sponsor today, who is Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. And like we mentioned in previous shows, they've announced new social widgets, including a Flickr photo display, a Twitter widget, and an iPhone application so that you can manage your website from the palm of your hand and approve and disapprove and reject comments and all that stuff. It's pretty cool. And uh, if you'd like a free trial, you can head over to squarespace.com forward slash twip. You don't need a credit card. You can just try it out, build your website. If you decide to keep that website, you'll get 10% off your subscription fee for life when you use the offer code TWIP at squarespace.com forward slash twip. So, Derek, back to you. You were talking about the Olympus pin and, and carrying that around with you. So I hear a lot of photographers saying that, you know, it, especially the notable photographers like yourself, people are always saying, carry around a camera with you everywhere you go uh, because you never know when you're going to get that photo. Now, do you do that, Derek, as a, as a matter of just when you're leaving the house, you grab your keys, your phone, your camera, and your wallet, and you're out? Is it that kind of flow? It's true. I, I do. And, uh, you know, for uh, a lot of photographers these days, uh, the their iPhone or their their nice Nokia, whatever they happen to have, uh, you know, they consider that the camera they always have with them. And, uh, you know, those things are getting so much better that I, I think that 
that is, uh, you know, reasonable. Uh, personally, my my little camera that I always have with me is uh, is a Canon S ninety uh, because I just I like having raw and, and a few other. I want the little camera, but I also want things like raw and so yeah. that I you know recover shadow detail and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 absolutely at that point where I'm trying to figure out what my next kind of point and shoot carry around is, is going to be. I've got yep. I've been carrying the, the Panasonic LX3 for uh, a few years now, and it's it's been pretty good for me. I'm I'm really quite happy with what I get out of it. And you get the raw files, so you can do a lot in post processing. And uh, you know, the, uh, they just introduced the LX5, which seems like a, a nice upgrade on that. But I haven't really looked at the is it the P7000 from Nikon and the new G12s. And, uh, do you guys either of you have uh, newer versions of that? I yeah. do. I'm, I don't. I do not. Yeah, I'm looking I, I, forward. I played with them all. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking yeah. forward to uh, trying the, the new Nikon out because you know I'm a Nikon dude, the P7000. But I think when you look at the market for the uh, carry-around cameras, um, I think cameras like the new Fuji that have come out, uh, slightly bigger cameras and the four-thirds cameras, uh, that might be where the market is going because when you look at phones, you know, even photographers, you know, they're willing to deal with the quality that you know, a lot of the phones are now starting to provide pretty good quality, and they do video, they do stills. So you have to kind of have a compelling argument to take a camera as well as a phone that you can use as a camera. And and I think that we're probably going to be seeing more of these advanced models. Ultimately, we might, you know, in five years, maybe there won't be this market of little cameras because the phone might have replaced that. Who knows? I, I think that's probably true. But I, it's not, Derek, it sounds like you're sort of in the same opinion that I am, which is wanting a camera that's pocketable, uh, yes. you know, that, but that still has things like raw and a, and a good lens and everything. Yeah, on that's it. The, you know, that's the thing. I mean, the the I, for instance, I use an iPhone and 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 I. I love having it, and there are times when I use it, especially if you want to geotag something, you know, right on the spot. They're really good for that. Mm -hmm. But, and you know, I I really like the the new Nikon with the the P seven thousand, right? Yeah. And the G twelve. But for me, those are those are jacket pocket cameras, and right. not not right. uh, pants pocket cameras. I I really need a pants pocket camera, and so that that's why I went with the. Uh, the S ninety, which now there's an S ninety five, which is you know, looks pretty cool. But so, yeah. so Derek, on that, just just about you know we 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 tend to get into the weeds on gear a lot, and a lot of people are, that are listening are like, okay, gear, 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 gear. But when you take your gear out, like mm -hmm. if you're if you're on a daily jaunt, just your normal routine, you're going to Starbucks, you're going to a meeting here, you're doing whatever. What are you shooting when you when you when you if you you always have your camera with you aside from the you know the, the the spaceship that landed, and you and you happen to have your camera, so you can get a shot of it. What do you normally shoot in the course of a week that you would need to carry a point and shoot or a pants pocket camera with you? Oh, that, but that's the thing, and, and of course, you know you're you're just being a good host here, Frederick, because you I know am. the answer to this question. I do, <laughs> <laughs> because the you know the minute you don't have a camera is when the interesting shot presents itself, right? Mm -hmm. And and then of course you have a memory, which is wonderful, but uh, much harder to share. So the, the reason why you have the camera is because you don't know what's going to happen. And when it, and when it does happen, uh, then that's the difference uh, between a lot of photographers, in my opinion. I mean, for instance, Steve 
I, you know, one thing I love about Steve's work is he has this ability to be, become invisible. And, you know, so people do stuff in front of him and he gets these great shots. And uh, they don't even, like, realize that he's there. And, of course, me at six foot seven, it's much harder to be invisible. <laughs> yes. But, but I, I have can see from here. Sure. I have angle. So, so, <laughs> uh, so uh, but at any rate, uh, stuff happens. Uh, all the time, and I just want to have a camera with me so that when it does, I have half a chance to get a shot. All right, and now Steve, on your side, when you when you're shooting and you're you're, I presume that you also carry a point and shoot or some sort of non DSLR camera with you when you're out and about. What are you doing with those images? So say you say you're out walking around New York City and you see the shot of a you know a person that looks great and you snap it and you're happy with it. Then what? What do you, what do you do with that image? Well, you know, you know, just because it's us here you know as an educator i'm always advocating take a camera around with you all the time and generally speaking that's true right now i'm kind of between um, having a pocket camera to carry around with me and i don't necessarily feel the need to always have a camera that the asterisk being you know i have my iphone which i can use as a camera I want to get this new Nikon to have as my sort of carry around because I think it's a good idea. But generally speaking, um, I'm able to sort of separate my life in that when I'm a photographer doing photography, I have to be in that zone. I have to be out and concentrating. And when I'm not shooting, um, I will look around and I will appreciate things. But it's not that often that I feel compelled that, oh, my God, I've got to get a picture of this. Um, when I do, you know, and I don't have my, my DSLR with me, I'll use the, the iPhone. Mm -hmm. But in a way, I, I have to be switched into photographer, photographer mode to really see things. Um, and, and a lot of the stuff that I do is driven by themes and stories. So that's the kind of stuff that inspires me. And I could sort of, you know, not shoot all the time. But I always want to have a camera with me because, like you say, occasionally lightning will strike and something really you know magical happens in front of the camera no ron are you are you in that boat as well you're the kind of the purpose so we've got derek that's always never leaves the house without the camera steve if i if i'm feeling the 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 photographic whim i'm going to take my camera and shoot or or if it's thematic and i need to go get something i'm going to shoot ron what how do you fit into that well you know it's i think the iphone or, or you know camera phones have certainly changed the way that you can kind of the comfort level of being able to go out without anything else just sort of knowing that push comes to shove you can always get that shot and you know i have my my point and shoot is generally it's, if it's not with me it's probably in the car and that's probably more likely you know so i keep it in the glove box kind of thing uh in case the spaceship does land yeah uh but yeah i, I guess it kind of depends you know if, if i'm going to the grocery store chances are are not too high that I'll have a, anything more than my phone with me. But if I'm going anywhere that might have some sort of an opportunity, then yeah, I'll, I'll try it. At least have the, the LX3 with me. Yeah. Yeah. And then me personally, I'm trying to get more towards Derek. Right now I'm, I'm in the Steve Simon camp of I'll grab it if I feel like I'm going to shoot something. But I, my fill-in is I feel like I always have my iPhone 4 with me. If something happens, I can at least get some sort of pixels captured. Um, but I'm trying to get more towards the Derek area, uh, when, and I'm sure I'll get closer to that if I pick up a new point-and-shoot, where I'm mm -hmm. always carrying the camera with me. But the thing for me is I need a reason to shoot. And it's kind of what I was getting at before. 
um, and I know some photographers they're participating in this this photo, this uh, shot a day kind of thing where you document your life and upload at least one photograph a day to Flickr and you know to kind of show a progression. I think that's kind of the thing I want to go for where I I don't want to just take pictures and then as a visual record of you know October 9th. You know, I want to take yeah. I want to take pictures knowing that okay, I'm going to put this online and it's showing some sort of progression or like Steve, it's a theme like okay, this month it's October, I'm going to shoot orange stuff or things that remind me of Halloween or you know and have that in my mind. If other things happen, I'll shoot those, but I need to have like some sort of vector in order to, to have, feel like I need to bring my camera with me. That's it, interesting because my process actually works a little differently than that. It, I, you know, sort of a cart and a horse sort of thing for me that if I have the camera with me, then when I have downtime and there's always down, you're always waiting in line for stuff. You're always, you know, like, you know, the world, I don't know how you guys feel, but you know, the world's like, ah, oh, God, just let me do what I want to do here. So I'm, I always seem to be sort of just hanging out uh, more than I want. And if I have a camera with me, then I start looking around. And uh, uh, one of my favorite shots that I, that I took uh, on this last trip to Germany, I was hanging out with my friend in Munich, and we were just waiting for the train, waiting for the train. And I looked up, and there was like this, this shiny metallic surface that was uh, kind of the ceiling of the, of the train station there. We were underground. And I looked up, and there was like uh, I took a you know a shot of the two of us looking up you know with that reflection uh, in the roof above, and you know it was mainly just because I had a camera and we we're killing time, but as it turned out, it was like my favorite shot of the two of us when we were hanging out in Munich, and it, you know it's, it's because you know we were just out bopping around. And I just had uh, S90 with me, so for me having the camera with me sort of you know, makes me be a little bit more creative. And, you know, I think it does come down to, like you're saying, Frederick, you know, how how does your process work? But I think uh, it's worth thinking about, like you're doing, you know, what is your process? And then make sure, you know, that you're equipped accordingly. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that the, uh, you know, the, the point, though, of, of having a camera that's small enough that you're willing to shove it in your pocket is an important one. And that's that's, you know, that's why I'm very interested in the, like the S95, the the new version of what you've got, Derek, uh, you know, because it is a nice small camera that you can stick in your back pocket and not feel stabbing pain when you sit down, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you guys weren't there last week, but Fred and I had a bit of a discussion on the whole lamography uh, movements, and that is using these plastic little cheap cameras. You know, in a way, you know, if you have an iPhone camera, it's a camera, and you can make the most of it. So you do have a camera on you all the time. And, you know, it, it's not always about having, you know, the, the biggest sensor and all that kind of thing with you. Because you can make great, beautiful images um, with just about any kind of a camera. And we've seen great results with pinhole cameras, etc. It's just about using what you have in a way that works for that particular tool. So having any kind of camera is, is a good thing. It's just, you know, you're, you're going to be limited at times. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a, it's a, it's, I think the, the bottom line is um, take something with you and, and be prepared, you know, kind of like the Boy Scouts. Be prepared. And, and, and you know, even, the, even what you said, Frederick, about the you, you don't want to just have, here's my picture I took on October 9th or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, kind of really mundane stuff. But, you know, it's been my experience having kind of gone through the process of scanning in a whole bunch of really old stuff that what's not an interesting photo from yeah. yesterday becomes can become extremely interesting 20 years later. Yeah. You know, I, I, I found a picture of uh, me and my brother sitting on the couch when we were little kids. 
And I've seen lots of pictures of my little brother, so uh, that wasn't the interesting part of it. It was, wow, I remember that couch. That was one really ugly couch, but I hadn't thought about that couch in 20 years kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Just the strange sort of uh, memory and uh, what it brings back and everything is, is an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, digital, yeah like, digital memories versus projects <laughs> versus documenting your life. You know, I guess it's, you know, there's no right answer. It's just whatever, yeah, whatever you feel like it. Times change and, you know, like a good wine, you know, images as they age, suddenly, wow, look at that giant phone with the battery pack, you know, that right, the shots right. you took in the <laughs> 70s. Suddenly they're like fascinating and interesting. And, and one thing that caught me my eye recently, uh, I think you guys have probably seen and will maybe put a link to it, uh, the site Awkward Family Photos. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's okay. hilarious, right? And so. we've looked at it and it's embarrassing, but they're real pictures apparently, mostly of snapshots that just are kind of funny. And I just read today that they're going to develop um, a, a sitcom from the website. Oh, <laughs> I guess they were inspired by looking at these old photos that from a photographer's perspective, we laugh at that's a bad picture. Well, it's so bad that it's good and it's interesting and it provokes a reaction, makes you laugh. And now there's going to be like a whole television series built on these bad snapshots. Wow. All right, let's let's move into some news and I think the number one story that that's uh, that may affect photographers that hit this week was that Steve Ballmer and his entourage descended on San Jose, specifically the Adobe headquarters a couple days ago, if not yesterday, um, to meet with uh, the CEO of Adobe about Topics unknown. So, um, <laughs> no, we know what the topic was: the how to stop Apple. That's what the topic. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> yeah. that's that's what the speculated topic is. Right. No one was, no one who was in that meeting is talking, right? So, um, I, I'll throw it to you first, Derek. What just speculating, pure speculation? Uh, if there is an Adobe Microsoft marriage, how will that affect us? And will will Photoshop suddenly not run properly on Macs? Oh, no, no, it'll, I mean, uh, I don't think, I mean, I think if anything, it'll add, add another layer of interest to this whole soap opera, you know, that that's going on in technology. Uh, I, I, you know, Adobe knows, uh, you know, the, the Mac market is wildly important to them, even though it doesn't, has, there have been times it hasn't felt that way, but yeah. it's very important. I mean, they just came out with, uh, you know, Premiere, uh, elements for the Mac. First time they ever, you know, have released this type of application for the Mac. You know, a direct competition to to iMovie, and I think they're going to do really well with it, especially with DSLR shooters who are shooting video. So I, I think uh, the Mac world will be fine. But I, I I would love to see what sort of you know projects would would come out of uh, you know any sort of meeting like this. It it could be interesting. I personally. I think it's it's it, nothing much will happen there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the the one of the articles I was reading about it was talking about how you know Microsoft kind of lost the lost whatever foothold they had in the in the mobile phone space, um, and then partnering with Adobe, who's trying to graph Flash onto mobile phones somewhat unsuccessfully. You know, does that? Does, even if there was a union, does it make sense? I don't well, know. Yeah, I mean, what are the two things that can bring your mobile phone to a crawl? You know, Flash <laughs> and, and Windows. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It'll go into reverse, right? <laughs> yeah, I found it kind of an odd marriage saying that uh, they were meeting to discuss issues related to phones because I wasn't really sure what Adobe brings to, you know, that's, that's not their 
their strong suit is what they would bring to phone technology, I don't think. Yeah. And like you said, the, <laughs> the flash issue is, is almost counterproductive at times, although conceivably that's, that's just uh, an engineering issue that could be overcome. But, you know, I, I, in terms of the interesting part of that, if it were to happen, the thing I find fascinating is that Microsoft has some incredible technology for image processing. Yeah. Uh, some really crazy stuff with all of that, you know, recreating 3D environments mm-hmm. based on... Photosynth, photos. all that. Yeah, all of that sort of stuff that they really have not been successful in productizing, right? You know, so they've got this technology that, that really doesn't have a place to put it, you know, doesn't have a home for it, whereas Adobe clearly has applications that are everywhere and that could really be, you know, really benefit by having this technology. So I, I think it'd be awesome if suddenly some of the, that technology started showing up across, you know, crossing over the border from Microsoft into Adobe. I don't know. Steve, did, are you afraid or do you just like whatever? <laughs> it's tools. No, I don't care. No, I think you guys uh, are, are maybe a little more up on uh, those two companies than I am. But, you know, the one thing that uh, Ron just mentioned, and I've seen little snippets of it, and that is, you know, Microsoft, of course, is this juggernaut. And they do have this amazing technology that... I've seen snippets of, but a lot of it is just kind of hidden and secretive, and and the you know the general public isn't really all that aware of it uh, for whatever reasons. They haven't found ways to kind of consumerize or even for the professional to make something that uh, you know short of you know the large companies that use this this technology. Uh, you know, maybe anything that could get some of this to the consumer, I think, would be good. Yeah, I just worry about you know this. This is consumer frederick here i just worry about photoshop and and these these this suite of apps that i've grown up with kind of now living under the microsoft umbrella which you know for mm. for whoever you know if it's wrong or right you know i still have this sort of i don't like microsoft gene in me <laughs> in that i love photoshop i don't like microsoft i don't want i don't want their chocolate in my peanut butter you know <laughs> well it, it is a little i mean certainly there's been a history there of applications that are allegedly cross-platform like Word still being sort of the bastard stepchild on the Mac platform even though they're supposed to be somewhat at parity and yeah there, so there would be a concern that uh, Photoshop would sort of get all the, the neat new stuff initially on the Windows platform and then uh, some later date it would migrate down over to over to the Mac platform but I don't know if that's really a concern or not yeah I mean but but think about even if you take Photoshop out of it Lightroom I mean, mm-hmm. Light, Lightroom is the, the reigning champion in terms of digital asset management applications out there right now. And then on the Microsoft side, who, who did they just purchase? The uh, uh, I forget the name of that app that they purchased. That's a, a direct competitor to Lightroom. So yeah. would they, you know, if the smart thing would do would, of course, just keep Lightroom around. But how do those teams merge and just what happens? I'm just worried that you know. Yeah, well, I need my I need my software. I just want to make pictures. Well, you know, it's been such a smooth tra- uh, merging with uh, Macromedia and Adobe. I don't think we have anything to worry about. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah. Unfortunately, that that is usually the case. That whenever whenever uh, these types of things mergers happen, what you see is not uh, an increase in the rate of change of the technology. It's they go through this phase of you know two three years where nothing seems to be happening. Yeah. And what's happening really behind the scenes, having gone through exactly this myself at Apple, is there's a whole bunch of refactoring of all the code and every, you know, everybody's trying to figure out how it fits into the bigger picture. Uh, and there's a lot of rewriting of stuff. And you emerge at the other end with maybe a stronger platform. But in the interim, there's been no feature changes that have happened over the, you know, really three years is not an uncommon period of time. And it would kind of suck to say that, you know, Photoshop and Lightroom don't get 
updated for three years, for instance. Yeah. You know what I would like to see? Here's some heresy for you that will spur some conversation. I would like to see Apple jump in and snap up Adobe and and yeah. and bring that into the Apple fold. How about that? You well, know? It, but uh, honestly, I I not I'm not convinced that would be better for us as consumers because I think that would sort of that would make Apple once again almost too monolithically in control of certain things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting story I mean, that will that will continue to unfold. Yeah. All right, the next thing up is, Derek, you, like we, we alluded to at the top of the show, you were running around Photokina, spearing beer all over the place at Oktoberfest, and now you're back. What, what stories do you have to tell? Well, there are a couple things. We'll start just briefly with Photokina. And one thing that really jumped out at me at the show, I mean, we know it's a gear show. We know it's a, a, a gigantic show. But the, one of the things I loved about it is, that it's very much a European show, and you know we're I'm, I'm so used to going to the photo events uh, in the U.S. And, and to go somewhere where you know German is is the number one language, right? I mean, the, uh, a lot of the presentations are in German. When I was working in the low pro booth, uh, the, the questions came to me in German uh, initially, and you're you're just it's it's like photo. Photography in Germany, and and I actually really love that because I, I it gave me a, a sense of something outside of the U.S. and uh, it was that part was was actually a lot of fun, and the uh, the sensibilities uh, you know one thing that we noticed when I was uh, hanging out at Low Pro I'm you know I'm the photography evangelist there so I do a lot of interacting with photographers about that sort of stuff. And you know the you know there's all these kind of new innovations and everything, but the the most popular aisle, uh, day in and day out there was uh, backpacks. I mean, you know, photo backpacks, uh, you know, or, or a way to carry your gear on your shoulders is still like uh, you know very very popular, and and that's that's what people were looking at, and that's what people were fascinated about. So, uh, and then I think the other thing about it was just you know the passion. For photography, it was great being immersed in people who were just passionate ab- about this. And you know, we 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 talk a lot about it. And we spend a lot of time online or something. But when you're immersed where there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are just you know just totally jacked uh, about uh, being in the setting, uh, that is very exciting. I mean, I, I really loved that sort of adrenaline rush that that came you know with being there at, at such a big event dedicated yeah. to a craft i love you hey know? derek did you notice when i was there a few years ago um i realized very quickly that there were kind of two shows there's the one that's open to the public and then there's the vip which is huge because you know all the buyers from around the world come to the show and they're wined and dined and there's private yeah. ways you know Nikon can and they all have these VIP lounge which I tried to crash uh, with very limited <laughs> success <laughs> it's not for <laughs> photographers I mean a lot of that stuff is for the the big buyers that are gonna order a thousand cameras and all well, that kind of stuff and, and that was even true uh, with us, you know, with Low Pro. There was the outer booth, which was the consumer booth, which was ginormous. And then there was this whole, like, inner ring uh, that was partitioned off. And that's where all the meetings are going on with the distributors from all over the world. And it's a chance to have, you know, face-to-face conversations. It's a chance to let uh, distributors air out their complaints. It's a chance to give them sneak peeks of the new stuff. 
And while while that is happening, of course, you know you have full service cafe. You have anything uh, that you want uh, served to you uh, in, in very in a very nice setting. And that that sort of inner world that you're talking about is is very interesting because what you know what comes out of those conversations between the manufacturers and their their business partners all over the world that's you know what determines what we have to choose from uh both online and in the camera stores now, and Derek, so Derek you being an educator and you know someone with a voice in the photography community of course it makes sense for you to go there but what about the average consumer i mean would it would it make sense for the average photography enthusiast or advanced amateur to make the trip over there well, uh, the short answer would be uh, yes, probably at least once. If okay. this was something that you know, you know, that was your passion, because you're, you're combining a couple things. You're combining a trip to Europe with, you know, pro arguably one of the largest photo shows on the planet that is has so much to offer for consumers. Also, yeah. I mean, it, you know, you really feel like you're getting, you know, an inside view into this this industry. Um, and then at the same time, in the case of Photokina, you know, they, they conveniently uh, tie it so for to Oktoberfest, uh, so that you can go to Oktoberfest. Also, uh, you know, the real Oktoberfest is about you know uh, three hours away by train, but still, you know, you're in Europe. You know, there are trains, and the trains go 180 miles an hour, so that's not really a problem. So uh, yeah, if if you're a photo nut, <laughs> I say. It is probably one of the ultimate trips. Well, and you know that that uh, first time you see the cathedral there uh, in Cologne as well is pretty spectacular. Yeah. It is very cool. Yeah. Now, Derek, did you uh, did you get any great shots there that are online that folks can take a peek at? Uh, I I, I posted uh, while I was there on Digital Story, but I'm actually uh, putting you know you know the post gallery together, so okay. uh, I will have. I will have something. I wanted to touch on what Ron said, though, that when you get off the train there in Cologne, which is where Photokina is in Germany, uh, the, the train station is right at the foot of this ginormous <laughs> it's, it's cathedral. The exact Cologne. experience I had, too, yeah. And you walk out of this train station, and you know, you're dazed and confused as you are when you travel in a foreign country, and then you see this this thing. You, you, you actually think you're having a hallucination. Nation. I mean, it is. It is yeah. that. that I, it's the exact same experience, you know. And then, I mean, the, the train station is very modern, and there's you know yes. big glass windows or something. So you kind of you start to see something as you're walking out, and, and you almost can't quite uh, your your brain can't kind of wrap itself around it. And then when you actually exit the doors and you see the scale of this thing, and it's one of those beautiful old Gothic cathedrals. And it's probably uh, two and a half times the size of what you would ever expect, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. yeah it, it's just and it's right there. I mean, it's right next to the train station. You're just like. Oh my God! Wow, man, that makes me want to go check. Just, just go there just yeah. to see that. Yeah, it's, it's quite the experience. Wow. And then you know, just one last. I just want to tip my hat to just you know, uh, living in Germany and uh, you know for that period of time. I mean, it, it, it's a great place to hang out. The the transportation is fabulous. You know, you can get anywhere you want easily. Uh, usually by by some sort of uh, train. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of fun food you're using the euro so it's very easy to you know to comprehend the monetary system and you know if you know a few german phrases to get you started uh, you know a lot of the people will will speak english to you at some point you know and they're very nice about it and it's just it's a fun european experience it's one of those things where you go wow i'm in europe and you know it's it's cool awesome all right 
Derek, you're going to have to work your magic somehow and get discounts on something <laughs> so that the TWIP audience can get over there. Right, right. And screw the trip aud- TWIP audience. Uh, how do we get us over there? I know. There you go. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool to do a show like from Photokina? Yes, I would like, love to do that. Get to work on that, Frederick. Hey, guys, are, are we all going to be at Photo Plus Expo? I am. Uh, I am 80% going to be there. I the other twenty percent will be still here in San Jose. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ron? You gonna be there? Uh, I hadn't actually really thought about it. When is it? It's another month or so. Uh, or? It's the end of October. It's coming up, I think. A couple weeks, 20, actually. Yeah. yeah, I would yeah. say unlikely. Unfortunately. Oh, uh, come on! Come on! Come on. <laughs> Peer pressure. Peer pressure. Get Ron out there. October twenty eighth to thirtieth. Yep. Mm. That's right, Halloween guys. weekend. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh man. Halloween in New York. Uh-oh. Mm. <laughs> All right, guys. Every week, our uh, our producers scour the TWIP forums at thisweekinphoto.com to find the best questions for us to answer here on the show. And uh, this week's question is from Natalie. And Derek, I want to throw this one at you. Can you can you see it there in the show notes? Uh, let me see. I'll go over there right now. Yep. It's about yeah. color calibration and all oh, that. Color cal- Whoa, geez, one of our favorite things here. <laughs> yeah. There's always an easy answer for that. Yeah, of course. It's <laughs> easy. Isn't there a big switch somewhere? You just click it and everything right. works? Yeah. Right. You just <laughs> so uh, as I make the transition from hobbyist to professional photographer, I'm realizing that I don't really know enough about color management. Well, I got news for you <laughs> after you make the switch. <laughs> So uh, a few basic questions here. Uh, the best and easiest way to calibrate the monitor. Well, we can handle that one. Uh, we'll start there. Okay. And, and, you know, really, I, I'm so glad that, that she started out with that because that is really the, the cornerstone of the whole deal. What you see on your computer screen it has to be uh, calibrated if you have any hope of, you know, it, your images, you know, going out into the world or coming out of an output device looking the way that you want them to. And uh, I'm very high on colorimeters. I mean, I, it, uh, the Mac has this neat little calibrator uh, built into it. It's a visual calibrator that is okay, but it's subjective. But, you know, you can get these really nice little colorimeters now, uh, you know, the, the, the spiders and so forth, for uh, right around $100. And uh, you can share them with a friend, right? A couple of you can go in on one because it's not like you need one every day. Yeah. Uh, you only need to calibrate every month or couple months. But calibrating your screen and creating that ICC profile for your monitor, then, then you can have some confidence that the edits that you're doing are really what you think they are and that when you send your image to a printer that is um, you know, using a, a maybe a corresponding profile for the printer, for the paper and ink in the printer, then you have a reasonable chance of getting uh, an image out of the printer that looks as you expect it to. And it all starts with, with the screen. Awesome. Awesome. So with any, any particular spider that you like other, you know, like brand other better than another? Well, you know, I, I, I use actually my, I use a spider and it's a, a couple models old and it still, still works uh, really well. I mean, yes. uh, the only thing that really changes is, is the software. Uh, you know, so, you know, I think it's something I, I use a spider. Um, the only one I really don't like that I've tested and, and, and I'm sorry, for those of you that might have one, is that I've tried the Hueys a couple times, and it just didn't 
get the results that I wanted. So, yeah. Um, and then the, the second part of Natalie's question is with regard to desktops versus laptops. Um, and she says she's hearing that it's more stable on one or the other. Is it is it true that working from a, a desktop CRT is better than working from a laptop LCD? Mm. I'm, not sure I agree. I'm not sure I agree with that. Cause yeah, I'm not sure I, I do. I, I, I mean, I, I've heard... I've heard similar things, but yeah. back back in the day, that was a little more true in that you could do a CRT actually has a little bit higher dynamic range, so you could get uh, a better a better setup on a CRT if you were willing to work for it. But CRTs had all kinds of problems with drift, and they would go out of calibration. I mean, we used to do this all the time in the film industry, where you know we had a guy that would walk around this the facility. Uh, calibrating all the CRT monitors, and by the time he'd finished at the end of the month, he'd start over again because the ones he'd you know done at the beginning of the month had already drifted off. So. It's like like painting the Golden Gate Bridge, right? Exactly. They're always you get doing the one it. end, and you start back over. And <laughs> yeah. It's a full time you know uh, ongoing job. So uh, you know there there are very very good uh, LCD monitors out now at the, at the very high end if you really need to get extreme color accuracy, but uh, it's probably not worth it. You know the, the thing that you get with desktop monitors that may be better than a laptop is they tend to be better for off-axis viewing sometimes and just you know just generally higher quality uh, stuff so that you know there, it may be a little bit more reliable there and that you move your head around you don't get the color shift you see on your your laptop as much yeah now Steve but, yeah. Steve Simon I heard that you don't uh, you don't need to color calibrate because you avoid it by just converting everything to black and white is that true oh sorry <laughs> sorry Fred um uh, sorry, can you repeat the question? <laughs> I said, I said, I heard <laughs> that you don't you avoid color management because you just avoid it by converting everything to right. black and white. <laughs> right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I I do. I definitely enjoy black and white a lot, and a lot of stuff I do I prefer to uh, shoot in black and white. Although I, of course, shoot in color digitally. Um, yeah, I, I'm not printing all that often, so. You know, I, I print every and every once in a while, and when I do, I kind of have to relearn everything. It's just that I'm not printing that much. I have a a color monkey, which um, is, I think, a pretty good uh, way to good. calibrate. Uh, good, yes. Very easy to use, um, and it's important when you're printing. It's just not not something I'm doing all that often. Hmm. But could I just add one thing on this? Sure. And, you know, this this actually comes up a lot. The main thing that I think is important is that you just keep it simple in the beginning because people, you can really, you know, we talked about getting lost in the weeds before. This is an area you really can get lost in the weeds. So, you know, a, you, know you want to have a victory early on. You want to have an easy win. And so that really is just calibrate your monitor. Uh, using one of these devices, and then uh, start out using a, a, a color profile with your printer. You know that matches maybe one of the manufacturer's paper or Red River paper, something like that, and just get a nice clean print out. And then you know, then you can fine tune from there. But in the beginning, if you just keep it simple, it's really the best way to go with this. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You can go nuts on this kind of thing, and really, getting your monitor calibrated is a lot less important than understanding what the image on your monitor is going to look like when it is printed. Because no matter how much you calibrate, it's going to be different. You know, paper is different than, than a display. And for me, it was always a lot more about, yeah, you get a good baseline calibration on your monitor, but really you're still going to have to have that mental mapping between what does a black on my monitor come out as, you know, what do the blacks look like on the on the print? And then you just have to adjust based on 
the different mediums. Yep. Yeah, that's that's a good point in my experience. I've uh, occasionally had had to print from um, a, a non-calibrated uh, monitor, and you know, in the end, I got beautiful prints. But I kind of realized a little more trial and error. You know, this is too dark and. And I just have to make it lighter. The other thing that I wanted to point out, too, is I know there's a lot of pixel peeping going on. But by the time you print stuff, you know, color noise is an example in the shadows. Uh, depending on what you're doing, um, you know, sometimes uh, that, that noise, as much as you've worked on it to try and eliminate it, um, it goes away. You don't see it. It doesn't show up in the print. So, yeah. so you have to understand the difference between what you're going to actually, what's going to reproduce in the print versus you know what you can see when you pixel peep on your monitor. So then, so then here, here's a, a, another facet to this discussion, uh, and to Natalie's question. We we talk a lot about calibration. So you got to calibrate your display to match the print that you're going to see and and hopefully get it close to what other people will see on their monitor when you when they view it online. But how do you, Derek? I'll throw this at you. How do you allow for people that are now viewing your images on portable devices like iPhones, Android devices, or iPads, or that sort of thing? Is there a way to calibrate for those? It it just works. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> no, really, it, it's funny uh, because I, I, you know, I wonder that myself. And so when I when I post something on Flickr or whatever, and then I look at it on my iPad, you know, you always kind of hold your breath a little bit. But you know, if 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 it looks good on my calibrated uh, computer, I just use a, a laptop, a MacBook Pro. Uh, then it seems to just work everywhere else. So okay. uh, yeah, so that's what I mean. Just uh, uh, get your get your computer in order and everything else, and and use uh, ICC profiles on your print on the other end, and everything will be fine. Right. Yeah. One one other thing I would say just real quick is if you if you're as most people or at least a lot of people are doing these days, if you're sending stuff out to be printed as opposed to having a nice big printer at home. It makes a lot of sense to send it to you know get a small print done wherever you're having it sent to to kind of understand what it looks like coming through that and make sure you've uh, understood the whole pipeline properly and then spend the money for a large size print once you kind of know that the small prints in the in the area where you want it to be. Yeah. Awesome. All right guys, it's that magical time again for the picks of the week. I hope you all have your picks ready. I'm going to start with Ron Brinkman. Ron, do you have a pick? Uh, I do. It's uh, it's sort of a very specific to Mac users, and it's not even particularly photography related. But I just discovered it yesterday, so I kind of like it. So uh, it's called Total Finder, uh, and really, it is just a, a, a plug-in to the existing Finder on the Mac that gives you a little bit more power. It lets you have dual pane finders, so it's a lot easier to drag and drop stuff. And you know, I do a lot of photo. A lot of my photo management ends up just being file management, right? So uh, this just makes things a little bit easier. It's 15 bucks, and it gives you like a tabbed browsing interface, kind of like browsers have nowadays where you can have multiple Finder windows, windows set up in tabs. Mm-hmm. And, then, and as I've been using it, I find that it's changed a lot. Of, you know, it used to be you'd have lots of little Finder windows up, and you're trying to figure out, all right, wait, which one was I coming from and going to? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this just makes it a lot easier to say I'm dragging from this file to that directory, and uh, you know, I don't when, know. When it looks like it supports Dropbox too. Huh. Yeah, it's it's smart. It's you know, it's just a nice extension to uh, to the existing Finder, and you know, for 15 bucks, I played it for about 10 minutes. So I was like, you know what, this is worth it. It's going to save me 15 dollars worth of time over the next few weeks, probably. So it's just totalfinder.binaryage.com. All right, cool. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thanks, Ron. Derek, what's your pick of the week? 
You know, I'm actually going to go with the Fuji. Uh, that of all the things I looked at at Photokina, that one just stuck with me. The Finepix X100. I think it's uh, just a beautiful camera. I, I love it that they had the guts to make it. And uh, I think for people that that love shooting with rangefinders, that you know, it's one to consider. Awesome. All right, and you're going to buy one. I take it, right? You know, I, I very well may. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm wildly tempted, right? Unfortunately, I have a couple months to think about it. <laughs> awesome. Steve Simon, what's your pick? Um, I'll pick a, a book this week. It's called Photo Op, 52 Inspirational Projects for the Adventurous Image Maker. You know, as a, as a teacher and educator and book lover, I'm always looking for stuff that uh, has information that maybe I could uh, use or be inspired by. And uh, this one was interesting to me because there's uh, a bunch of different contributors. It's kind of put together by one editor, and there's probably about 20 different uh, contributors. And there's all kinds of uh, little ideas for for doing various projects using pinholes, macro, tilt shift, um, camera phones, just all kinds of uh, ideas. Some of them probably not wildly original, uh, but... Uh, some of them are original, and, and it's a kind of how-to, tells you how to do it. And uh, I just thought that uh, if someone's looking for new avenues to explore uh, in one book, uh, Photo Op by Focal Press is uh, probably worth t- checking out. Awesome. All right. We'll link to that in the show notes for sure. Thanks, Steve. And my pick of the week is the Apple TV, which I don't have my hands on yet, but I did order one. Um, specifically, uh, and how that relates to photography is um, just like the old Apple TV, you can you can show photos on your screen. But I'm just a fan of being able to publish to a Flickr stream or say, hey, I'm interested in what Derek's doing this week, and subscribe to his stream. And whenever I see, you know, whenever my my television goes into sleep mode or whatever i can see fresh new photography coming in through there all the time so um and they're only 99 bucks now so it it just sort of made sense and that the way the old apple tv works it had a hard drive in it that you could then sync to your other machine or doubt purchase things and would save them directly to the hard drive inside of it the new apple tv is um it, very light, very thin, has no storage in it, and its primary purpose is to connect to sources online and on your uh, on your local network. So your Macs that are connected to the local network, it can pull in content from them and then play it on your television. So um, I thought it was pretty cool. And um, for 99 bucks, I'm going to give it a shot and see if it uh, fits into my household workflow. All right, guys, we are at the end of the show Derek Story, where are you on the internets? TheDigitalStory.com, and everything flows through there. So uh, stop by and, and check it out. All right. What do, you, what do you have coming up? Any any talks or anything coming up soon that people should know about? Well, uh, I'm going to be at Photo Plus, and I'll be around the Low Pro booth a lot. So if you're in New York, please, please, please come by and say hello, because I just love talking with shooters. And then uh, I'll be speaking, uh, I'll be doing my Aperture thing at uh, Macworld. And I got a couple good Aperture classes. I got the workshop, and then I also have a processing video uh, in Aperture. It's kind of a, a fun little class. Very cool. All right. Yeah, that's right. Macworld is right around the corner. God, it seems, here. seems like we just had one last year. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have to enjoy them while they're here, right? Yeah, <laughs> totally. All right, Steve Simon, where are you at online? Yeah, I definitely want to take that uh, that video aperture course that you're going to give uh, Derek. Looking forward to that. Um, I'm also going to be at Photo Plus Expo. I'm doing a um, 
a three-hour seminar, one of the sessions. It's called The Passionate Photographer, 10 Steps to Becoming Great. It's on Saturday from 8.45 to 11.45. So I'm hoping I'll see some TWIP people there. And uh, I'll probably be having coffee with Derek at some point. Um, we, or I'll be very hurt, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> And Fred, you're going to be there too. So I'm hoping to be there. Yeah, like I said, 80. percent I'm up to 82 percent now. So excellent. We'll excellent. see. We'll, we'll see hopefully if I can. push you over the the edge there. And and uh, and also on Twitter slash Steve Simon and stevesimonphoto.com. Awesome. All right, Ron Brinkman, where are you at on the internets? You know, on the Twitter, uh, Ron Brinkman, R O N B R I N K M A N N, and then my blog is digitalcomposting.com. I did put up a photography related post a little while back on there for people that haven't wandered over there lately. So please do so. Very cool. All right, and to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter account. And oh, so much more. If you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash frederickvan. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton. <laughs>